This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. Morning. It's two minutes past nine. You are tuned to 102.73 triple R. Maybe you're listening via rrr.org.au. Time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. My name's Dr. Beach. How are you, Dr. Beach? I'm very well. Very good. Pleased to hear. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> things are good. And with you, et toi? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much, Tim, for Vital Bits. Thank you very much, Andrew, for Soulful Bits. Another... Wonderful addition. I always like having Tim whisper to me through the, through I the airwaves. Know. That was a little bit confronting, actually. I, I, <laughs> I just arrived in the studio and I uh, thought, what's going on? And then I quite liked it. I like being, you know. Whispered to by Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Orally challenged. That's right. Yeah. On today's program. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a very exciting show. Don't go there, Kent. Uh, Kent's panelling for us today. Panel beating. Indeed. We yes. have um, our, our dear baykeeper has just walked into the um, into the studio, and that is, of course, for regular listeners to this fair program. You will know that as Neil Blake. Mm. Beautiful Neil. He's going to be on first. He is. He's going to be talking to us about some training he's been doing with drain detectives. We were talking about drain detectives a couple of weeks ago, so it's a new program that's um, that's coming up shortly. And so Neil will talk to us about that. Also, some work he's been it's, doing. It's, it sounds like a new program is coming up shortly on telly. <laughs> like CSI. Drain de- yeah, drain detectives. <laughs> CSI train detectives. Suit up and get into the Elwood drain. Yeah. <laughs> I could do that. Go in a number of different directions. Yes. Um, uh, 
Yes, uh, also work he's been doing with the Scouts of around Melbourne, um, all joining forces to do some great work with litter audits, mm-hmm. street audits, what's getting chucked into, you know, what's not necessarily getting chucked into, but what is ending up in our stormwater systems yep. and eventually into the bay. And also some work he's been doing with the St Kilda Penguins. Who doesn't love a penguin? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we all love those dear penguins. Yeah. We're then going to be speaking with Jackie Younger from Dive to You about a great beach cleanup activity they did last week in Frankston, under Frankston Pier, but along the beach as well. And they've got um, another really big event coming up um, called Mission 100 in a couple of weeks' time. So we'll talk to Jackie about that. And if you want to get involved, they're trying to get 100 people on the beach cleaning up, I believe. I'd be interested to hear what they dragged out from um, under Frankston Pier. Mm. Apparently... um, yeah, I'm going to let her do All the right, talking right, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, then we're going to cross to Hobart to speak with Dr. Dirk Wellsford. You might have seen during the week um, some amazing footage of a creature which has become known as the headless chicken monster. And it, it was truly amazing, Brom, wasn't it? It was very beautiful to see that. It that's was, right. Uh, fantastic. But but let's, yeah, let's let's hear, hear all about. From Dirk? From Dirk himself. So Dirk is from the Australian Antarctic Division and uh, is one of the research scientists involved in um, spotting this creature and classifying it. So we're going to talk to Dirk about that. And uh, then towards the end of the show, I'm yep. going to, um, if there's any time left... Yes, there will it, be. ...because it's jam-packed <laughs> and lucky I'm the least important person here. <laughs> That's so not true. <laughs> I will um, talk about some undersea volcanoes that I attempted to talk about last week, but we ran out of time, um, off the east coast of Tasmania. Um very, very briefly, there's not a lot there. But well, well there is a lot there. It's, you know, in fact, it's quite an extensive range of volcanoes, a couple of hundred k off the right hand side of Tassie. Yep. Um, very fruitful area. Lots of um, lots of biological activity happening there, and I'd like to just thrash that concept around for a few minutes towards the end of the program. Great. Well, let's commit to being uh, on time today, Dr. Beach. We got so involved in our discussion I, last week we with Joy McCann. I know, and I wanted to keep that going. So there, no, there was no <laughs> sour grapes in that comment at all. It's just I like, know you that. Know, I'm just the one that always suffers and quietly. <laughs> and, you know. You're such a victim. <laughs> all right. Weather. I'll be all right. Let, let's make it a Don't short, snappy weather report. A short, snappy. I'll stop banging on. Put on my... Reading glasses, that was the noise you heard then. Um, Today is going to be 18 degrees, patchy fog in the outer suburbs in the early morning, mostly sunny. Winds south 15 to 20k per hour, becoming light before dawn. Then becoming south, southeast, south to southeasterly, 15 to 20k in the morning. So 18 degrees today, nice and sunny. Oh, they are saying maybe just a little sprinkle of rain somewhere. Uh, which is the outlook for the week with um, with rain, just a little bit of a sprinkle. Um, 19 degrees tomorrow, mostly sunny. Warming up Tuesday, 27 degrees, partly cloudy. Wednesday, partly cloudy, 23. Chance of rain on Thursday, and it's going to be 30 degrees. So we're banging up to 30 degrees. And then Friday, 1 to 5 millimetres. Next Saturday, they're predicting here 10 to 20 millimetres and 25 degrees. So it's warming up. We're getting into summer and we're getting a little bit of rain. This time next week, I'm going to be in Darwin and I hope there's going to be lots of rain then. Hmm. What are you doing in Darwin? Is oh, it fun? Machen um, as the Germans would say, a bit of a holiday. Okay. Yeah, I'm hoping to get some um, early wet season. I just we're, we're seeking thunder and lightning and rain. Excellent. Hopefully we will get it. Crazy elements. Crazy elements. Good to hear. Yeah. Um, now- oh, that's right. Well, tides, for those of you oh, heading yeah. out on the water, you'll be saying, where about the tides? Um, it's going to be high tide at 6.30am. Well, it was. That's clearly in the past. So it's going to be just after 12.30 this afternoon at 12.40. In fact, it will be low tide at Williamstown. 
because they're not giving us the um, tides for the heads here. So I'm flummoxed. So all I can give you is Williamstown. Sorry. <laughs> That'll do. That'll do. That'll do. That, anything will do on this program. It's not quite true, is it? <laughs> We've dropped our standards today. Um, a quick shout-out and a quick plug, and then we're going to play some music. The shout-out is to Deborah. Thank you very much, Deborah. She sent us in via our Facebook group. Um, she sent us a message. Um, she cut this article out from her local paper, the Mordialic Chelsea Leader, and the title, the, the article headline is um, Plastic Clogs Gills of Bay Shark. And it's a really lovely story of a couple of sisters who were out there um, snorkelling and they off Ricketts Point and they noticed that there was a Port Jackson shark that had um, its gills were all sort of jammed up with plastic. So uh, the women got out there and... And uh, this was a couple of weeks ago. Um, they noticed the plastic in the gills and managed to, between the two of them, extract the plastic and release the shark. What a lovely story. And there's some really nice footage of them actually doing this work. So um, lovely heartwarming story there. It is a lovely heartwarming story. A couple of women. And there was one, just very briefly, indulge me here, Bron. Um, in yesterday's, well, one of the newspapers yesterday, there's an article often called The Two of Us About Two People. And yesterday's was Valerie Taylor. And a friend who is now in her 80s, suffering from arthritis, but still getting in the water, apparently um, having a fantastic time in the water. And this is an interview with her and somebody called Hayley Bailey, who is in her 40s. But Hayley, just the one bit I want to say is that Hayley said that um, when Valerie goes diving now with um, Hayley's son, so a kid who's 10, with this woman who's in her 80s, who's been diving for a long time, the 10-year-old will get out of the water and say, that was amazing. Apparently Valerie will get out and say, that was crap. I remember what it was like in the 50s, uh, 60s and 70s. And it is indeed true. Right. I mean, it, it might, takes me back to... I know the first time I dived on the Barrier Reef was the very early 80s, late 70s, and then mm. going back there with, with my children 10 years ago. So I was like, yeah, amazing. And I'm thinking, oh, God, it's... Yeah. In, in comparison, it's crap yep. to what it was. And it just sort of brings home... I don't want to go on a downer again, but... Yeah, it's those things, you know, we talk about the whole time. Well, it's actually a really good point for us to pause on that and then bring that discussion back when we catch up with Dirk Wellsford in about 20 minutes' time. He's going to be talking exactly about this with the... Um, no, he's not. I'm talking about something else. Yeah, Dirk's talking about chicken monster. Yes, he's. I'm thinking about our interview for next week. All right, on that note, let's play some music. Um, Mojo Juju, I don't know if you caught her uh, live performance here at Triple R. It was amazing um, a couple of weeks ago and I've uh, been wanting to play this song for a while. This is from uh, a 2010 release, Mojo Juju and the Snake Oil Merchants. Uh, their album, Selling Your Salvation, and uh, this is... a. a Bit of a Halloween theme to this song, with Halloween coming up this week. Spooky. Bit of spooky eeriness. This is called Here is the Sea. you've just tuned in that was um of course fabulous mojo juju and the snake oil merchants from 2010 with here is the sea sailor song taken from sell a new salvation it's coming up to 16 minutes past nine you are listening to radio marinara here on three triple r it's with great pleasure now we welcome our baykeeper extraordinaire neil blake back to triple r to radio marinara good morning neil greetings Bron. such a warm welcome <laughs> it's great to have you back it's wonderful uh you've been up to a lot of things Yes, yeah, I have. I uh, haven't been sleeping too much lately. Right. <laughs> Where will we start? Should we start with um, maybe the training that you did yesterday with drain detectors? Yeah, the, it was the drain what did it. 
That's what us detectives <laughs> were out to get them drains. So, no, it was great, really good. Uh, I went down to Rye, um, the EPA, running their training programs, and there were six other people there. Um, with Darren in particular giving the instructions uh, and yeah it was a really good um, concept that uh, the citizen science I think it's a resource that is just waiting to be uh, utilised really by a whole range of people who need uh, people on the ground to, to give them good information. Mm. Neil can you remind us about drain detectors we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago and they are training people up to to check out what's in the drains is that, is that, is that, am I remembering correctly? That's right so essentially uh, there are, I think, about uh, six drains that have been identified on the on the eastern side of the bay that uh, uh, teams of people have been equipped to, uh, as they're doing their, their walks along the beach, they can call in on the drain and uh, do a simple test and take a photograph and uh, submit that to the EPA, uh, particularly to find out if there's any microbial activity in the drains, even in uh, non-rainfall uh, times. So the simple test, is that like a, shoving something into their iPhone or...? No, it's actually taking a little sample uh, of, um, of water from the drain and, and then adding eight drops from bottle one and then eight drops from bottle two. <laughs> I'm not sure what happens if you put bottle two in first. So uh, I, I don't imagine it's anything too dramatic, but uh, and then just waiting five minutes, uh, the, the sample will change colour and then there's a, a, car, a chart that you can look at, a colour chart to see... Uh, you know how much ammonia is in the water according to the colour that the um, sample becomes. Pretty can, straightforward. How were um, the others who trained with you yesterday? What Can you give us sort of a general idea of were they kind of coming from different groups or were they just interested members of the public? Who, um, who, was it, who else was taking part? Well, I think they were just interested members of the public. Yeah, okay. um, mostly older people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was... Uh, mostly male too for that matter uh, there was one young woman there uh, so uh, she was a, an outlier okay yeah. and so what happens now you've, you're all equipped you've got your kits well we, we'll actually receive our kits in the mail now so that okay. hasn't actually happened quite yet but uh, um, the plan is to do sampling over a six-month period as I understand it particularly the summer period yep and uh, we'll see where it goes from there fantastic mm-hmm. awesome oh well keep us tuned yeah I, I just think as I say it's on. terrific really that you don't need to be a scientist to actually gather the good information as long as you um, you know observe the instructions and do, do it in sequence and communicate it as as expected then uh, that's a valuable contribution awesome well, I was just about to say that is the thing with citizen science, isn't it? It's fantastic the way that, that so many people are engaging in it, but also how it can lead to data which are really, really useful because you know, some critics might say, well, you're getting all sorts of different people doing things, but if you have a defined methodology which everybody yeah. follows, then that is rigorous. It's That's great. right, yep. Yeah. And it's just a matter of doing enough of it too so mm-hmm. that you can get good information. Where we go next? Let's uh, let's talk about the work you've been doing with scouts because this is fantastic work. We're talking about citizen science. Yeah, well, it relates to the drones. That's mm. true. Uh, the, yes, the street audits with the scouts. The project has um, began, I think, uh, around about July, and uh, we've been in a major recruitment phase to get uh, scouts across all of the catchments around the bay involved. Uh, I was out there with uh, one of the leaders from Brighton that um, visited the Monbelk scouts. Uh, earlier in the week mm-hmm. and uh, it's great you know there's, there's a really 
enthusiastic um, people out there, young people, and again, given the right instructions and method, they can gather really valuable information to help us um, combat plastic pollution. So it's a a street audit, Neil? So you're going along the street... Bit of a transect, for example. Uh, well, it's yeah. We have three zones in the street. Um, one is just the hard surface area of the footpath, uh, and then a, a lawn or garden area, maybe mulched area, and then the curb and gutter zone that we collect data for each of those zones. And it, but it's only one property frontage, so we're not going you know the whole kilometre down the road. Uh, so it can all be completed within uh, you know within an hour at the most. Okay, and so the, the rubbish is picked up in front of that property and also recorded exactly what that rubbish is. That's right. We've got a data sheet with the most commonly uh, found items. So uh, it's a one-page thing, so you're not flipping through all sorts of stuff. Of course, there's plans to sort of develop an app, but I mean that's a little bit technical for me. But I, I just think just record the data, you know, and then we can move on and, and actually help to inform local source reduction plans. I was going to say, what's the, what are you going to use those data for? Is to yeah, well, local governments in particular, you know, uh, I guess um, it all came to my mind when we started doing cigarette butt audits in Blessington Streets and Kilda in, uh, back in 2011. We did about six audits and uh, we found that 62% of the butts were found in front of uh, businesses. Yeah. So it just gives you some sort of insight as to where you should invest your energy or your resources if you happen to be local government or any other campaign organisation. Uh, it gives you more focus. Yeah, and I guess the question is then, is, is that the um, people who are working in those businesses coming out there, having their smoke and going back in and leaving their butts there? Or is it people who are using an opportunity maybe to shelter... That's stand right, stand under the roof, get out of the sun, get out of the rain, that sort of thing. Yeah, so you've mm. got the opportunity to ask that question directly to the people in the business. So you're saying you're wanting to get scout groups to kind of really get as much representation around Port Phillip Bay as you can. Are there any kind of spots where you're wanting to recruit in particular? Uh, well... Um, any holes that you... You know, <laughs> any obvious spots where... No, it's actually all going pretty well, oh, as good. a matter of fact. So, and we we started out in in the Brighton area, and we've done uh, uh, with Sandringham, Hampton. We're going down to Red Hill uh, in a couple of weeks' time. There's uh, been some contact with uh, over in Werribee, Wyndham, and Geelong, and. Uh, uh, as I say, the Monbok one's certainly an outer area, so yeah. it's great. It's going to be interesting to see the results from out there compared to some of the closer ones uh, in the more urbanised. You said you said it started off in Brighton with the scouts. Is it, is it? Have you contacted individual scout troops? I think they're called, or, or is it like Scouts Victoria said, yes, Neil, we'll get on board with this and get every scout group in the state to to get involved in it. Uh, well, it's focused. Um, this particular project's funded by the Port Phillip Bay Fund, so we're right. only looking at catchments feeding into the bay. Mm-hmm. And uh, Scouts Victoria are on board with it. We have a steering group, um, who are mainly the people from Brighton, and th- they've been uh, communicating widely to all the Scouts groups around around the bay. Cool. Brilliant. Oh, well, we'll definitely keep in touch with you yeah, on how this one travels. The, uh, Audits are done in six different usage types, so that's going to be the interesting thing, you know, where we've got residential, parkland, sports fields, public buildings, industrial sites, and there's one or so other. But at this stage, uh, sports fields are looking pretty good up there. They um, <laughs> seem to be generating quite a lot of trash. Oh, right, as in good as in... <laughs> yeah, right, not, not good as in they're right. looking after their trash. Well, they're winners, you know, they're winners. That's so. Uh, no, sorry, <laughs> I, we've got that wrong. <laughs> I just... <laughs> 
I, I, I just, just for a second, I saw this article today with the headline, well, not today, during the week, nine types of plastic discovered in human poo. That's right. So, yeah. study. so it's now, people are now getting into looking at what's getting into us. So it reminds me that it's not only around the bay, and of course we are a show about all things wet and salty, so we're concerned primarily about the marine environment, but it's the entire well, planet, really. Well, that's why the street audits are so critical, because yep. most plastic in the bay is coming from the streets. Mm, that's right. Uh, and the St Kilda Penguins. Let's end, let's end with the St Kilda Penguins. And I saw, um, as I don't know, I tried to avoid it as much as I could, but I did see um, um, a headline somewhere about the latest visit of the the two royals. Yeah. I, I try not to talk about this, but anyway, they were here. <laughs> the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Yeah, them. Let's talk about them. <laughs> and uh, and that there was all this talk about them going down and doing, you know, getting involved with beach cleanup groups. And I thought, ooh. I wonder if they're going to be meeting Neil. Not is Neil going to meet them. I wonder if Neil, they're going to meet Neil, our Neil. Yeah, well, actually, Captain Trash did hope to catch up with them because, you know, royals are another R word. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, he didn't get an invite. Oh. But then again. Their loss. Maybe that's not such a bad Their thing. loss. But anyway, you've been doing some great work with the St Kilda Penguins. Yeah, it was good that they went down and put a highlight onto that. But uh, yeah. uh, I did, it did, again, put the mental focus on Trash being on the beaches rather than on the streets, you know, yes. so we still haven't made that shift. Although I love our streets were present though, but they didn't quite get the mm. high prominence in the in the coverage. So let's shift the conversation then to talking about important things. So the, the penguins themselves, yeah. you've been doing some work with them? Yeah, the, stu the study's um, happening again. That was I had a bit of a hiatus for almost a year, and uh, but uh, the fortnightly study of the penguins is in full swing with the breeding season, and it was interesting, particularly with the uh, Footscray fire, whether or not that might have some implications for the penguins because they're feeding basically in the top of the bay uh, at a time when. Um, uh, there was some runoff coming coming off that fire into the into the Yarra, and uh, uh, but there doesn't seem to have been any impacts. The weights are really good. There's some very fat penguins out there, and lots of chicks. That's so great. There's good news. Fantastic. And, and we're talking there are large number of penguins in St Kilda now. Yeah, well, uh, uh, 1,400 adults has been uh, flagged. As it's hard to because they live in amongst the rocks and you can't yeah. catch them all but it's really hard to get an exact figure on it but certainly though there's plenty out there fantastic thanks neil great pleasure great to have you in as always we'll catch up with you in a few weeks time excellent rapidly heading towards the end of the year yeah we'll have to find out what's happening over summer too and without any further ado, we're now going to cross to Jackie Younger from Dive to You. Um, we're going to be having a chat about the beach cleanup that took place down in Frankston last week good morning jackie yeah, hi, Bron. How are you going? Good, today? thanks. How are you? Not too bad. I'm waiting for the sun to come out, but apart from that, really good. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Neil Blake in studio. I've um, just been chatting with him, and uh, he's very interested to hear about your beach cleanup work as well. Hey, Neil. How are you going? Oh, great, uh, Jackie. Good to hear from you. Excellent. Oh, thank you. Um, I've just got a couple of things about last week at Frankston. I'd also like to mention a couple of cleanups that we are organising in the next month or so, but um, we had 114 volunteers last Sunday at Frankston. That's uh, fantastic. Yeah. Really good turnout for, you know, it was a pretty cold morning. Um, and we got about 92 kilos of litter, about 20 kilos kilo that was in water. Um, but what I'd really like to emphasise to you guys is the improvement. Um, I'm really noticing a difference in the amount of marine debris that's in the water with the regular cleanups that are going on now. 
it's making a really big difference. So you say um, you say 90 kilos. What would it have been previously? Oh, look, I was, I was actually trying to look that up. Last time we went to Frankston, we would have pulled out probably from the water. 92 kilos, that was including the beach. Yep. So that's beach and in water. Last time we did Frankston, I've got a really huge piece of marine debris that I use for displays there. I think we would have got at least triple that. Right, wow. Um, it's, yeah, and it's, I think it's the word is spreading, Bron. I think that, Anil, that um, a lot of the dive shops are taking on regular cleanups now. A lot of snorkelers are getting in and doing cleanups. People are taking their their bag for the for on when they're going for a beach walk, and and particularly beach patrol. I'm really noticing an improvement, which is really encouraging. Yeah, can I just say one of the um, recent sort of innovations too is that there's been big cleanups in the Yarra with, with the Ocean Crusaders and the Clear Water Group. They've got a, a giant vacuum cleaner that they're um, been deploying up along the Yarra, and you know I'm sure that will have an impact. I've seen that. That's fantastic. That's really exciting. I actually spoke to one of the guys who who brought that in. It's just so, it's really good. It's cleaning those waterways that are getting to the beach, but um, it's also people are really understanding now that. The cleanups can't be a one-off. Like we do our official cleanups with Sea Shepherd Dive, which is the beach snorkel and dive cleanup, but it needs to be on a regular basis. And people are just starting to take containers with them when they visit the site, and it's just it's just helping keep that litter out of the water as well. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's really good. And um, Beach Patrol's got a. It's actually the same day as our next cleanup, which is on the 17th of November. We've got ours at Mornington, and. Beach Patrol is doing a Mission 100 at Frankston, trying to get 100 people for an hour to do a clean. So it's just the different initiatives that are coming out are really brilliant. Yeah, what, what's planned for that one? So 100 people for one hour, uh, will that be a combination of in water and out of water as well? The Mission 100 is a beach clean-up, so right. it, is a, it is a beach clean-up. I think they're going to... I don't want to say they're not... I don't want to say how many people I've got because I want to continue to encourage yeah. people to come along. Um, I think that'll be a really popular one. That's a beach clean-up. Um, so that will be a really big clean-up along the beach. And Beach Patrol does more than just the Sunday clean-ups as well. We don't get to socialise with them as much as we'd like because we often do our clean-ups on the same days. But that just shows how much that is spreading with people wanting to get down to their local beach. Um I think that they're going to do really well with that one, actually. And it's like you were saying, too, um, if, if it's becoming a habitual thing where divers and snorkelers are taking a little grab bag with them and, you know, bringing just as part of the dive, if they happen to see something, they grab it and stick it in their bag and bring it home. Collectively, over a long period of time, that's an awful lot of litter that's been collected, which is just great yep. news. And that's where I'm really encouraged. I've been doing this for, for a very long time now and I really notice the difference and... One thing about that that's really important, and um, we've spoken about this before, is getting snorkelers in the water. I think snorkelers sometimes feel a little bit excluded. I probably do more snorkel cleanups than dive cleanups because we need to get that fishing line off. It wraps around the pier pylons and it mm. pulls the sponge habitat off, so it's really important to get to that. Mm. But it's also vital that people are shown how to do it. That's a really important one. Yeah, definitely. Dr Beach? Jack, yeah. Jack here. It's Dr Beach here. How are you going? Fantastic. Hi, how are you? I'm very well. Um, fantastic about having it at Frankston. And it reminds me that as we're heading into summer and people are spending more time on the beach, just to, you know, take a, a, a bag with you and when you're walking... And I know heaps of people are doing this already. They'll be saying, yeah, there's no need to tell me what to do. But yeah. it's... It's, it's a really good thing to remind people of, and I need to remind myself of it as well. As, you know, whenever I'm going for a walk along the beach, just pick up what you see. Exactly, and it's making a difference. I mean, 10 years ago, I would never have seen someone 
doing that. Now I go down to my local beach at Germana and I see people cleaning up rubbish all the time. But, um, you know, it's just re- it's re- it's really encouraging. It's really spreading. And we've got a lot of events coming up in sort of November, December to try and get people in the water and to try and, and train them how to do beach and, and snorkel and dive clean up so they can go and tell other people how to do them. Um, that's the important the important point is to not disturb the habitat. That's a really vital one. So, you know, sometimes we have um, debris that might have been in there for so long that we're it's better off to leave it there because it would cause more damage to pull it out. So that's a really important one as well. Yeah, that's right, particularly um, if, you know, if, if little critters have come along and made it their own little habitat, it's, uh, oh, absolutely. it's better to leave it there. Um, Jackie, we're going to have to move on. Is there any other uh, event that you wanted to give a quick plug to now? Yeah, sure. Well, we've got the the Mission 100 is on the 17th of November in Frankston. We have a dive snorkel beach clean-up in Mornington on the same day, the 17th. Um, and we've got a couple of events in December if people want to look up the Dive to You Facebook page. And Seaside Scavenge is on the 13th of January. We want to start getting ready for that one in Rye. Excellent. What I'm going to do is off air, um, I'll catch up with yep. you and we'll organise a time for you to come on. We'll give you uh, you know, a bit longer and then we can go through sure. all these in detail and people can put them in their calendars, particularly for what's coming up over summer as well. Oh, definitely. Really good to get more people involved. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, thanks, Jackie. Good Always you, a pleasure. Jackie. Thank you so much, guys. Have a good day. Thanks, you too. Bye, Jackie. Bye. Talk to you Bye. soon. Bye. Jackie Younger there from Dive to You. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Now, this coming Wednesday, it's Halloween, so it's kind of fitting that over the last week the whole world has gone a bit gaga over extremely rare footage of a creature that's become known as the Headless Chicken Sea Monster. Filmed in the Southern Ocean off East Antarctica, the Australian Antarctic Division says it's the first time the unusual variety of sea cucumber has been filmed in the Southern Ocean and only the second sighting in history. What is the Headless Chicken Monster? How rare are they? What happened to its head? To answer these questions and tell us more, it's with great pleasure we welcome Welcome from the Antarctic Conservation and Management Program Leader from the Australian Antarctic Division, Dr Dirk Wellsford. Uh, Dirk, good morning. Welcome to Triple R and to Radio Marinara. Uh, Good morning. Thank you very much. Um, I thought we might clear something up from the outset because I've seen a bit of debate in social media on this over the last week. Uh, Now, the creature that we're talking about, is it a sea cucumber or is it a nudibranch? From the photo, it seems that it swims a bit like a Spanish dancer. And in fact, one ABC article that I saw had it reported as being both a sea cucumber and a Spanish dancer. What what kind of creature are we talking about? So it's it's a, it's a holothurian. So it is a sea cucumber. Um, it's not a netty brand. Um, during the uh, the media coverage earlier in the week, when the, the, we broke the story about the headless chicken monster in the Southern Ocean. Uh, we were contacted by the ABC, um, and uh, a guy in Noosa um, said he'd found one as well, and um, they showed us some footage, and it was a it was a nudibranch. So there is a nudibranch called the Spanish dancer, um, which superficially looks similar to the headless chicken monster, but they're quite different animals. <laughs> Can we actually talk about the name, the headless chicken monster? Because uh, how, how did it acquire this name? Because it, it, it is an extremely cool name. It's obviously something that's grabbed attention around the world, and particularly with the timing of it heading into Halloween this week as well. How did it come to acquire this name? Because it really, it's a spectacularly beautiful looking creature. Yeah, so um, we didn't christen it. Um, so some scientists at the National Oceans and Atmosphere Administration in the US had seen the uh, headless chicken monster in the Gulf of Mexico. They'd been driving a remotely operated vehicle around under the sea there, and they'd seen it. And um, I guess 
it kind of looks a little bit like a chicken. Um, it's it's sort of roundish um, with wings, and so that's where they came up with the name. And um, when we found our version, um, we thought it was good to, to keep that name. Dirk, it's, um, it's Dr Beach here. Um, yeah, fantastic. I, I managed to have a look at the footage, and it was, my goodness, such a beautiful thing. And one of the things mm. I was going to ask you was, um, where is the other distribution? And you've just answered it. So around the world, is, 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 is this common i mean it is very rare footage to have this but but how many times yeah. have people seen uh, it so um it is it's not entirely unknown to science so um it was actually first recorded back in the uh late 1800s um during the discovery voyage so some of your listeners might know that there was a uh, a um uh, a global science research voyage that was undertaken back in the late 1800s um, where they explored the entire world's oceans, did some of the first work in the deep ocean, and they found uh, a specimen, and they, uh, that's where it's got its scientific name, but it wasn't until the 1970s that some of the early deep-sea research managed to capture black-and-white photographs of it swimming, um, and then we were um, lucky enough to get some high-definition video footage of it from the Southern Ocean. So our discovery is, is not of the Higgler's Chicken Monster. It is known to science, but we were the first people to see it in the Southern Ocean and capture footage of it swimming past our camera. Uh, you, you said to us it is a sea cucumber, so a holothurian, so it's not too distantly right. related to starfish and and sea urchins. But it, So sea cucumbers... I mean, most people will be familiar with them as looking literally like a cucumber. And, but this yeah. one, I noticed, it's got these beautiful fins to the outside, which, you know, gives you the confusion with the Spanish dancer, the way it's swimming and gliding through the water. It's, is that common among... Or did, it's obviously not common in sea cucumbers, but how many no, holothurians look like this? Yeah, so um, there are a couple of other species, um, particularly in the deep ocean, that seem to have uh, evolved the ability to to at least sort of squirm up off the bottom and, and float around a little bit. Um, it seems to be an adaptation to enable them to get away from predators and also find um, patches of food because the deep ocean is, um, you know, the food there is very patchy. The only sources of food uh, typically are things that float down from the, from the surface. So sea cucumbers normally are sort of crawling around in the sediment eating um, organic material that's between the, the grains of the sediment. But these particular um, swimming sea cucumbers um, seem to use, seem to have evolved these fins so they can hop up and swim around a little bit and find other patches of, of food. Um, it's an amazingly clear image, Dirk, and I read that the discovery was three kilometres below the sea surface. How, how did you get an image that was that clear from that depth? Because the other thing that I read about the camera was that it's pretty similar to a smartphone. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. How, how I guess, it, an incredibly uh, impressive smartphone that you've got there with an incredibly impressive housing unit, maybe. Yeah, that's right. So, um, I mean, in the article we talked about how technology, um, particularly in the development of smartphone technology, you know, the things like cameras, uh, LED lighting and things like that have become much, much cheaper and much more compact. Um, people like to have long battery times on their phones so that's improved battery technology as well. So we took um, the different components of, of, that we could find. So the, the original camera was actually made out of a, a bicycle headlamp that um, had LED uh, lights in it, and they have a 
really low power draw, so you can use them uh, for a long time with a relatively small battery. And the camera is, is very similar to a GoPro camera that some people might be familiar with. So we, we have some very talented technicians at the Australian Antarctic Division, and they managed to come up with a, a camera that would work and a housing that would work down to 3,000 metres. Uh, it switches itself on and then sits on the seafloor attached to fishing gear. Yeah, and this is part of a series of, um, of uh, you've got, it was more than one camera use, wasn't it? And they were sort of hung off the side of fishing boats. Um, That's right. Yeah, what other um, image, I'm just wondering what else you found during this, because this is a, it's a spectacular image of, of this creature that's hardly ever been seen before. Were there other, some yeah. other surprise uh, images that came through? Look, we've, we've, we've been really lucky um, over the sort of last couple of years, we've been working with the Australian fishing industry that works down in the Southern Ocean. Um, they've been very helpful um, with allowing us to put cameras off these vessels. Um, and we've seen some, some really amazing stuff. We've seen uh, elephant seals swimming past cameras at, at more than one and a half kilometres down. Uh, we actually managed to publish a paper about that because, funnily enough, people didn't know if elephant seals swim around with their eyes open down in the deep or not. Hmm. And we were able to see elephant seals come up to the camera and stare straight into the camera. So we were able to confirm that they, that they forage with their eyes open down there. Um, we've seen... Um, Patagonian toothfish, which is the, the species that's being targeted by the fishery. And we've got this great bit of footage, which is almost like the uh, opening crawl of Star Wars, where the, the toothfish just glides over the top of the camera. Um, and they're, they're really big. They can grow up to two metres long, so that, that's really spectacular. Um, we've also got um, this footage of a, of a crab that walked up to the camera, this big spiky crab. Um, if you go to the AAD Facebook website, you can see some of the other clips of footage that we got. Oh, fantastic. We'll put a link to that on our Facebook page as well. Um, one last question I wanted to ask you was uh, about the annual meeting which took place in Hobart this week. This is the Commission for the Conservation of Antarctic Marine Living Resources. Um, was the... I have, I have to keep calling it a headless chicken sea monster or chicken monster yeah. just because that's what our listeners will know it as. Was it the talk of the conference? I guess particularly as far as the amount of um, mainstream global interest in this particular animal... Yeah, so um, I've, I've spent the last three weeks in, in those meetings. Um, so October's a, a big event for me because I'm Australia's scientific committee representative for the uh, Convention for the Conservation of Antarctic Marine Living Resources. And it, it meets in Hobart um, for, for a month. There's 25 different countries that come along to that meeting to uh, debate how we can best conserve uh, the Southern Ocean. And there's certainly been a lot of um, uh, conversations in the margins about the headless chicken monster. Um, the story really has gone around the world. I've, I've heard stories that it's, it's ended up uh, in the news in China, it's ended up in the news in Argentina. I got interviewed by Canadian radio for it. Um, I mean, we did talk about um, how we can serve uh, the seafloor um, organisms that live in the Southern Ocean. So it, there's, there's sort of linkages around um, the work that we're doing with the cameras and then actual practical conservation. Yeah, that's right. And if, if a discovery like this can be used to further really useful, productive um, conversation about conservation, then it definitely serves its purpose. It's not just a, you know, a trivial 
look at this cool thing, move on to the next story. If it, if it you know, generates some really interesting and useful conversation, it's a good thing. Dr Beach, you were going to say something? Well, just that, yeah, it underscores the value of the deep oceans and how little we know about them and, and to get it into the public mindset that this is something to, not to be exploited as many people are wanting to do and have done in the past, but to, to, to truly care for. Yep, that's right. And I mean, it's, it, it also keeps us going. I mean, it, it's kind of cool to see things like this. I'd never seen a headless chicken monster before. And um, when we saw it drift past the camera, you know, it, it, it really caused a bit of a buzz around the office and the labs um, at the AAD as well. Just one last thing, Dirk. It was a spectacular colour. It was almost magenta, pink, sort of, I, I, crimson. I, I'm not sure how to describe it. But is, is that what... So that's it's a true representation of the colour with the, with the lighting yeah, on the that, camera. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's the real thing. Those those images are not enhanced at all. That's that's raw footage. Um, the other interesting thing about well, a lot of deep sea organisms tend to be that sort of reddish brown colour, and that seems to be a, an adaptation to um, turning invisible in the deep ocean because there are still um, some frequencies of light can penetrate down there. But if you if you're red, you're pretty much invisible. Um, but they can bioluminesce apparently, so um, we didn't get to see that, but uh, they can sort of have this outbreak of blue-green sparkles across their body as well, um, so they're, they're pretty amazing. Brilliant. That's a great note to end on. Um, Dirk, thanks so much for joining us this morning here uh, on Radio Marinara, and uh, we hope to catch up with you again in the future and find out some more about the wonderful work that you and your team are doing down there. No worries. My pleasure. Great. Thanks. Bye for now. Bye. Uh, Dr Dirk Wellsford there from the Australian Antarctic Division. Unfortunately, it sounded a lot of the time like it was actually under the water with, yeah. that, with that line. Yeah, we had so a bit of a, a shonky phone line there. But, um, but, but fascinating stuff and yeah. really, really beautiful to, to see those images. And, you know, lots of people have seen them. But it's it does. It's, we all mentioned that it reminds us of how important that is. That, That's that, right. That, that, that unknown area which covers, you know, the vast majority of the surface of the planet. That's right. Only the second time it's been recorded in history. So... Yep. A photograph of it anyway. Quick plug I want to get in um, from Cade Mills, who's been overseas. He's going to be back in the studio next week. Uh, but the VNPA Reef Watch is gearing up for the Great Victorian Fish Count. It is November, so the Great Victorian Fish Count is just around the corner. They've got an event which is taking place where you can find out all about it. It's this coming Wednesday, 31st of October at 6.30pm. It's in the uh, VNPA headquarters, which is the 60L Green Building. It's the ground floor of 60 Leicester Street, Carlton. So not far from the Vic Market, if you want a, a good landmark to, um, to navigate by. Um, there's going to be some great presentations there's nibbles there's drinks as well you do need to register um, if you go into eventbrite and type in great victorian fish count um, we'll put a link to that on our facebook page as well and you can go along and hear some great presentations including kate charlton robb um, from the marine mammal foundation she's going to be talking about dolphin discovery with port phillip bay's very own bunaran dolphin um, there's a farm Sharko from port phillip eco center we'll be talking about marine plastics um, dr nicole mertens who was on a couple of weeks ago we'll talk about the great victorian fish count itself as well so there you go pop that in your calendars for this wednesday 6 30 uh, at the vnpa building 60 l 60 leicester street Carlton. dr beach uh yeah i read an article in um csiro have a, a an online kind of blog we can go on it csiro i think this one might csiro news um a couple of weeks ago, 8th of October, and it was scientists uncover volcanic lost world off the Tasmanian coast. 
I haven't heard anything else about this in the media, so I thought it'd be worth spending five or six minutes on it. The investigator, which is the dedicated blue water vessel, pretty new, that the CSIRO has that scientists can use um, along with their collaborators to go and explore the coasts around the country and down deep into the Southern Ocean. Um, they were on a, a voyage in the winter, I gather. They don't actually say exactly when it was, off Tassie, about three or 400 k off Tassie. And they were using sonar, um, not the side-scan sonar, but the multi-beam sonar um, that we've heard about a little bit on this program. And they've uncovered or discovered these vol volcanoes. So the surface of the water, or the sea, sea floor, is five kilometres down. This is about two or 300 k off Tasmania on the right-hand side. And they discovered with... The right-hand side, meaning the... Meaning the... Um, east? East, yep. yes. Yeah, as you're looking at the map, like... The, <laughs> yeah. the east. <clears throat> and they discovered these volcanoes, these sea mounts, which rise 3,000 metres off the seabed. Wow. In other words, so they're, they're, um, their tips are 2,000 metres still below the surface. Amazing to, to discover this, and this was a chain of them off, off the coast there, but, but what kind of piqued my attention or caught my attention was that there was an enormous amount of biological activity happening on the surface. There are quotes from people um, from the Tasmanian Bird Association and, and other biologists who were on the voyage saying that the, the, the amount of diversity up there was just incredible. Um, there were four different types of albatrosses that they saw, all these different petrels. Humpback whales, they were visited by 28 individual humpback whales in one day. Uh, so this, so get an image of this. You've mm -hmm. got you know, five kilometres of ocean depths below you, but just right where you are, it actually goes on down, down to two kilometres, and there's these ancient volcanic peaks there. Some of them are plateaus as well with little very old peaks on top of them, and people can search this on the CSIRO news and have a look at the amazing images as scientists uncover volcanic lost world of the Tasmanian coast at October 8, 2018. Um, and, and so this reminds us, I guess, of the... The nutrients which are in the deep cold waters which are coming up from the south from antarctica and they don't talk about it in the article but i imagine this is what's happening that those waters those deep cold waters are hitting these undersea volcanoes and then getting pushed up and then that's bringing up a lot of nutrients with it therefore you get many phytoplankton growing you then get the zooplankton on that and that brings in all of these other animals not only the whales but also the seabirds and they're very excited about this, the people on the investigator and the biologists who were there, and they're very much looking forward to um, to going back in the summer to, to have a, a closer look at what's happening with the biology there. But, but a, a, a beautiful thing, and I do encourage people to, to get on and have a look at these, these wonderful multi-beam sonar um, images that the CSIRO has there and also some really nice pictures of the of the birds that they saw there too. So you were saying eight, uh, four different types of albatross... Was four it? different types of albatross. I didn't even realise there were four no, different types of albatross. Me either. Uh, but there's a picture here of the black brown, black browed albatross. There's the wandering albatross as well. Um, uh, yeah, four different types of albatross, and also southern giant petrel. So things that they haven't seen much before at all. Any uh, any commentary in there on what comes next? So it's uh, yeah. Well, what comes next is that over the summer. So this is a winter cruise. Yep. Uh, cruise. I don't think it's it's all beer and skittles <laughs> on there. Um, but they discovered this through the winter, and now they want to go back over the summer um, with more biologists on board to have a close look at, I guess, the nutrient cycles that are happening there to figure out why um, there is such a rich rich biological diversity above this. 
and to perhaps discover new things, as we were talking to Dirk before about, you know, the, the whole Ethereum down in the, in, the, in the deep and who knows what will be there. Just before we go, though, mm-hmm. there, there is... And I had to finish things on a downer, but there was an article this week um, in the news... Um, talking about how the U.S. Uh, NOAA, so the U.S. National Oceanographic and, Admi- and Atmospheric Administration, um, are predicting that there's a better than even chance, a 60% chance, that by March next year, the entire Great Barrier Reef will have been, will have suffered a bleaching event. Wow. So we know already that there have been two pretty bad bleaching events, really, really pretty bad. It's an understatement, one in 2016 and one in 2017. The summer of 20, um, early this year, 2018, it Fortunately, not much was bleached, um, but there's a better than even chance with um, with heat waves, with marine heat waves, which we've talked about quite a lot, will in fact get down to the southern end of the reef as well. 60% chance only, so it's not 90%. It's not certain, and things will change. Predictions are still very uncertain. Noah says that, you know major weather patterns can change probabilities over the next several months, uh, but if it does happen, it'll be the third in four years, and that really, um, as um, Professor Irv. Her Goldberg mm-hmm. said that really compromises the ability of the corals to regenerate. So once you knock them off, get rid of the you know with the heat, you get they bleach because they're chucking out their algae. The algae feed them through photosynthesis. You don't get you know killing out as um, Her Goldberg says at the end. He says killing coral has really reduced the ability of the reef to produce offspring. Of course, if you kill. Yeah. So it's I, I, I don't don't want to finish on a downer, but sixty percent chance that. Um, we could get an and enormous number of more bleached corals. And what's year. really terrifying about this is that unlike emissions reduction and all sorts of other things that we can actually do, we can't do anything about this. We are 100% dependent on what happens with weather if we're talking about the next summer that's coming up. Yeah. Like we are, we're already in that stage. So there's not saying that we can't do anything about it. There's loads of things that we can do for the longer term, but we're already in that time period. Yeah. Speaking of time periods, we've got to get <laughs> out, out of here out for of the here. doctors. Thank you, Dr Beach. Thank you, Dr Burton. <laughs> Thank you, Neil Blake. Thank you. Thank you, Neil Blake. Neil's still here. Thanks so much, Kent, for all your amazing work today. And uh, thanks also to our other guests, Jackie Younger from dive to You, and thank you, um, Dr Dirk Wellsford. We've got a bit of stuff to put up on our Facebook page, which we'll do shortly. Next week's program, Cade and Terry are in the house. Dr Beach, you're heading off for a few weeks. I am. Safe travels to you. Merci. Uh, we are going to be speaking with uh, Ben Radford. Um, this is actually going to be a pre-recorded interview, which you and I are about to go and do. Yeah. <laughs> Talk you to can't, Beach. You can't tell him that. Well, I'm going to tell him that because we'll be playing it next true. week. About the decline of algae um, and uh, kelp forests in the Great Southern Reef. So looking forward to speaking with Ben about that. Kate Charlton-Rob will be live. She'll be in here and talking to us about AMSA, the Australian Marine Sciences Association. And Terry will bring us a report on what it was like diving in Truck Lagoon. Nice for some. Stay tuned for radiotherapy and we'll catch you next week. Bye for now. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.